Hello, welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. What's up? How's everybody doing? We're back. We're back. I know. Back. Seems like forever, but we did record for the Patreon people, but you know, we're not going to jump into advertising that too much right away. If you want right. to listen, go over to True Crime Guys Patreon page and figure that out. Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys. I do want to make a quick public service announcement that uh, time changes suck. Yes, they uh, do. The whole spring forward thing, fuck off. Don't like it. Get out of here. Fall back just, is okay. That one, yeah. you know. Fall back right. is also welcome. Why don't we just always fall back? <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. Fall back, uh, fall forward, fall everything. <laughs> spring, just spring fall back. Spring back, fall back. Nope. Right. Roll back prices, Walmart. Why don't we ever fall forward? You know, maybe that would make people feel better about it. We started saying, "No, I'm, I'm going to fall forward this weekend." That sounds a lot easier than springing. It's like springing. I say, we just mm. if my goal in life is maybe we get this podcast big enough to where we can just make our own fucking clock, and we just like, you know, I don't mm-hmm. even care. Like, uh, I think you know, at nine o'clock, eight o'clock sounds better to me. I'm just going <laughs> to change the clock real quick. Is that? Gonna I don't be have a... work to be at on Monday. <laughs> it's fine. Right? Is that going to be a nine o'clock TCG time? Uh, yeah, right. it is. Okay. Cool. <laughs> we really. Uh, <laughs> I realized we really like are beholden to the clock. Like no matter what the even like the the sun says, you know, like the sun change. We change the clock. The sun is still out late into the night, but yeah, we're like I gotta go to bed. The clock says it's eight, it's eight thirty. I gotta go to bed because I gotta be up early for right. work. It's it's all about getting up for that almighty dollar. That's right. That's what it's about. Yeah, that's what it's about, man. For a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So I had a bone to pick with society as far as that. Because um, it is some old school shit. I don't think we need to change the clocks anymore, but, you know, that's just a whole leave other them. day. Like, next time we fall back, you know what? Or just leave them like they are right now. Just that way you still get the most daylight in the summer. You know what I'm saying? Just leave right. them. Yeah. It's just, Arizona's got it figured out, right? Don't they? They don't change, do they? I don't think Arizona does. And they're so There's, close to where I live in Southern Nevada. It's that's like weird, right there. Right? That's weird. There's a couple other states, I think, that don't. That's change. it. I'm moving like, to Arizona. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Sedona. I'm thinking Sedona's about, gorgeous, yeah, Sedona. but I think you got to pretty much be rich to live there. Oh, is that right? Yeah, mm. it's kind of like a retirement kind of Mesa class. Mesa, that's kind of my place. <laughs> yeah, Mesa, Arizona. There that you sounds go. Sounds good. Want to meet up in Mesa? Let's move there together. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, I have to change everything about the podcast. Start paying state taxes. You will. Ugh. Yeah, oh, fuck that. You know yeah, what? No, yeah, man. I'll take the time change over state taxes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Speaking we have, of uh, sucky government shit. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had a bone to pick, and so did, uh, so did old Marv. Marv Hemeyer right. had quite a bone to pick with his local government, holding him back. That's and, right. And uh, it's kind of a divisive case. A lot of people defend this guy. Uh-huh. And you know what? As far as like the monsters we've covered, he's definitely on the lower end. He didn't actually kill anyone. So, spoiler there. Oh, um, yeah. This guy's not a monster. This is a guy just, at worst, fed up, bent on revenge. Fed up. At worst. At worst. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to defend him because really, I'm not this is not the him, way. I'm this is acting out like a child, you know, but... It's a fun case, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we can have a lot of fun because there was I'm really surprised. No, vi- no, other, no victims other than a lot of sad, innocent buildings that were standing there that are no longer standing after this rampage. Right. I'm just surprised it took us this long to do this one, honestly. Yeah, it's a good one. Man, I thought, we, I thought it was gone to, the, uh, gone to the woods, man, you know? Yeah. But you brought it back out, and I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. All <laughs> right, let's jump into it. Let's do it. Marvin Hemeyer and his killdozer baby. 
Let's crank it up. Okay, so for this intro, I want to do something different, right? Well, obviously, you guys have read the title, so you know what this episode is about. But I'd like to play a little game. I challenge you to play this intro for a friend, just these sound clips that I have hand-selected, and see if they can guess what this case is about. It'll be fun, okay? So here's clip number one. He's going to turn around here and make one last stand and, and shove that uh, caterpillar into the Vamble's appliance store. Okay, so thoughts? Um, why does this man have a caterpillar, right? And why is he trying to shove it into a hardware store? And also, why is that so difficult? All right, all those questions will soon be answered. Here's clip number two. He, he, you can see he just is deliberate and determined and nothing will stop him except his own equipment. Okay, so you heard it there. He seems determined, right? Unstoppable. Unless his equipment fails. Interesting. Still a difficult caterpillar, if you ask me. Let's listen on. Here's clip number three. What we're going to do, if you can stay with me now, he's going to make one last stand here. We're going to fast forward again and show you how far he gets, and then we'll take it up to where we actually have members of the Grand County SWAT team, the Sheriff's Office SWAT team, standing on top of the Caterpillar. Okay, so what I'm gathering is, shoving a Caterpillar into a hardware store is obviously a crime. Right? Are you guys getting the same thing? You understanding what's going on here? The SWAT team is literally standing on top of this Caterpillar to prevent him from pushing it in the hardware store. I just don't... They're going through some great lengths. Seriously, how strong is this Caterpillar? Is it not dead yet? <sighs> Clip number four. But they seemed to realize at some point that he was unable to shoot out and that at this point he was like a turtle on his back. He was very vulnerable. He had gotten himself wedged. He disabled the Caterpillar. Okay, not really sure what's going on here but he seems to have really strained himself. And now, um, he's a turtle on his back. You heard it, right? I mean, I guess this is it for him. I don't think the Caterpillar is ever gonna make it into the hardware store in his disabled state. Let's listen on. Clip number five, roll it. About 70 years in this market, we've never seen anything like this. Well, no shit. A guy trying to shove a caterpillar into a hardware store while the SWAT team tries to stop him and then all of a sudden he falls on his back and he can't get up and him and the caterpillar are both disabled? I've never even heard of anything like this, much less seen anything like this. So of course. Let's listen on. How many clips do we have left? Two? Alright, clip six. Here we go. If you haven't guessed it by now, I don't know what the hell you're doing here. He talked with me about doing this uh, back in January, and just in a conversation while we were having dinner, and of course I thought that he was just kidding. I had no idea that he would follow through with it and continue. Okay, so he told someone about this plan earlier. Cool. She took it well, in my opinion. Me, I would have been like, that's a fucking stupid idea. Just leave caterpillars alone. And if he told me this in January, I would know he wasn't going to do it, you know? So I don't doubt her. I mean, I don't blame her for doubting him, because there's no caterpillar. It's probably hard to find a caterpillar in January. You know, it's probably why he waited till the spring to do all this. All right, last clip, or hint, whatever. Number seven, here it comes. The people that um, caused him harm, that he, that he was going to... Um 
So there you have it, clip number seven. What's your guess, right? Maybe this caterpillar is part of his revenge scheme. Oh, you might be right on that point. I tell you what, I'll give you one hint. It did not happen in Florida. As crazy as this story sounds, did not happen in Florida. Okay? It's the only hint you get. Or you could just listen on and Lauren's about to tell you in like three, two. All right, our case this week is a guy by the name of Mar- Marvin Hemeyer. I like guys named Marvin. I don't know, I just like that name. I always, it just immediately makes me think of Home Alone. Marvin. Yeah. Marv. Marv. On, Marv? What are you thinking, <laughs> Can you Marv? Think? Yeah, the Marvs, those Marvs are always up to something, aren't they? They are. If you're a Marvin out there, let us know. I, just, I okay. want to know what you're up to. <laughs> like Marvin Martian, he's always up to stuff. That's what I'm saying. Marvs are always sneaky. They're always up to something. They are, man. They are always up to something. Yeah, and in this case, this guy had a, a cassette tape manifesto. This tells you that this case is a little a little older, um, the uh, more from like the early 2000s. Although, if you're going to have a manifesto, a cassette tape one is a pretty cool way to do it. Yeah. Uh, cool he's, his to buddy do. told him to do a videotape one, and he's like, you know, you're just going to have to take my word for it this, that this is actually uh, old Marvin. You're not going to see my face, but, you know, you just have to. And then he said his social security number, so you knew it was him. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the audio is great, too. I mean, it's not like it's, yeah, it's there's any question. If you it's ever a little grainy, talk, which kind of adds to it, I think. Yeah. You know, it yeah. sounds well, some like areas cassette are. Tape. Some areas are, but a lot of it was pretty damn good. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, you can tell, you can hear every word. I'm not saying, it, but I'm just saying it's got that kind of grimy oh, cassette yeah. tape feel, almost like an old, you know, yeah. nine, whatever they call it, seven millimeter record or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever the fuck the millimeters are on those. Right. <laughs> what if the, the, the I'm not a hipster. I'm sorry. Sevens, <laughs> <laughs> Let me wax my mustache and uh, ride my unicycle around, and then I'll remember. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> So the opening line to Marv Hemeyer's cassette tape manifesto uh, was, God bless me in advance for the task that I'm about to undertake. It's one way of looking and at that it. And that was his mindset before he went on the rampage that we're going to cover in this episode, was that every step of the way he was basically justified and proven that God wanted him to do this because in That's his right. eyes, like he kept kind of setting roadblocks up and then they would not happen. Like he... He almost wanted to be discovered, he said, but, you know, we'll get into it. I think that was, I think he was dishonest in that, in saying it that way, because I think he was putting his own roadblocks, and I think he wanted this to happen, and he was kind of making it happen, but then he was saying, well, you know what, I tried to sell the the dozer, and then Mm -hmm. nobody bought it. It's like, dude, you had it listed for a lot of money, and nobody really (laughs) had a need for a fucking dozer at that moment. I'm sorry. Does that mean you're supposed to go on a rampage with it? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's a hard sell. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you have a yard sale, and you have a bulldozer. No one bought it. Is that so shocking? (laughs) $33,000 dozer. No one bought it. Right, right. Do a lot of people want it? Sure. (laughs) Like, Can a lot of people justify buying it? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Marvin Hemeyer, let's dive into uh, his past a little bit. He was born October 28th, 1951 in South Dakota. He shares his birthday with Bill Gates and Caitlyn Jenner. couple of gems. Uh, okay. <laughs> couple <laughs> of gems. <laughs> I hear you, brother. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, in their own worlds. Yeah, in their own professions. I guess they are. Yeah. Two successful people, rather. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> Actually, kind of three, really. Three successful people. Oh yeah, uh, Hemeyer was. Caitlin was formerly well, Bruce Jenner, who and was like an Olympic oh, athlete. So that's really, that's right. That's right. So and then went on if, to be Caitlin of uh, uh, TV star fame. 
Jeez, reality and, TV fame. And in my, I mean, up to my standards, Hiemeyer was a very successful person as well. So I think we're four for four on this birthday. Are these people that that's we know? crazy, right? That's pretty. We doubled crazy. down on a couple characters. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to do that. Bill often. Gates. You almost could split him. Like him and his money is like almost another entity. There's so much of it. It's like right. another person. <laughs> It's We're probably just multiplying. A giant, yeah, it's just a giant money god that he goes and asks for advice yeah. and guidance. Yeah, what do you think about that whole thing people say about those guys that are that rich, like Bill Gates, where they say, if he's walking down the street and he dropped $100, it's, it's actually smarter for him to just keep walking. It, it, he's going to lose more money by turning around and picking up that $100. And I'm just like, eh, I'd still pick up the $100. Wait, like, what's that theory based on? What? They're based on the fact that he's making so much money like every second off of like all of his investments and oh, how, in, in, okay. interest. It's like... He's making more than that hundred, like in that second. But it's like in that second, he's when he turns around and get the hundred dollars, he's still going to be making the other money too. Yeah. So your I, fucking theory's flawed. I'm yeah, sorry. it's it's not like he, he has to clock out on his phone and then bend over and get the hundred dollars and then clock back in. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, Stop I time. I have to pick up my. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't understand how how that would yeah. make sense. Well, maybe they're saying on the way to what he's doing that he's going to be so much. He's going to make so much money from what he's doing. You know, when he gets there, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's dumb. Or it could be that the people are going to stop you. People maybe see you. Or just you. leave the $100 for a homeless person, you, you know, you rich bastard. Yeah, you really don't need it. Whoever no. finds that money could use it more than you. That's my thing. That's definite. Yeah. So, yeah, as we mentioned, he was born October 28th, 1951. He had moved to Colorado after being stationed there while in the Air Force. So he was in the Air Force, and he learned to he learned how to weld in the Air Force. He was a welder in the Air Force, um, and he became damn good at it. Um, kind of has to be if you're welding on airplanes. Right. Yeah. So he he was very very good at you know using torches and, and welding and all that stuff. So, yeah. um, and when he while stationed in Colorado, he kind of fell in love with the place and he went there initially after getting out of the Air Force to you know he planned on doing like a six month vacation there, and just kind of was like, why don't I just buy some property? And he ended up buying a cabin on a couple acres, uh, sitting on three lots and had it had a deck with a a hot tub that he liked to frequently sit in and just contemplate life. And, uh, yeah, so he ended up moving um, to Colorado, and then in 1991, he moved to the small town of Grand- Gransby, about 16 miles from Grand Lake, where he had previously been living. He'd been living in uh, Grand Lake area, and then moved to, moved to Gransby, a very small town, and that's where he would make infamy later, about 10 years later after moving there. Um, in the Granby Great Grand Lake area, he had no relatives, so he had to make he had to make friends, and he made some friends, and he also... Eventually made enemies, as that's, we'll see. That's tough to do in a small town, man. When you move yeah. into a small town, it's it's really tough. It's, They've got you those. You can make enemies really quick. Yeah, because most of the time in a small town, I could be wrong, but it seems like most like most of the people that are there have been there for a long time, and you're the Generations. new outsider. Generations. Yeah, they've been yeah. looking out for each other. That's that's what you see. The good old boys club is what. Uh, yeah. What Marvin liked to call it, mm-hmm. which he got he got lambasted by in his opinion. Um, he feels like they all ganged up on him, like it's a schoolyard and just kind of like held him down so he couldn't succeed. Yeah. That's Uh, a, that's a very real thing, man. And it's like when you're from an area for a long period of time and you can prove it, you don't even really have to know these people who are from this area for a long time. They automatically feel like they know you and can trust you. You know, like, like I know people like since moving back home, I've, I mean, before I left too, but I would run into people that didn't even know me, but they knew my grandfather or they yeah. knew my dad, or they knew somebody like that, and so they felt like they could trust me. I felt like I, I felt like I already had a step up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're but in. 
exactly. But on the other end, I've also lived in a small town, like in southern Nevada, where I didn't know anybody, and I was the outsider, and I definitely felt that as well. Like, you go into the store, and they're like, uh, hey, can we help you? And I'm like, yeah, I, I live here. I mean, I've been in this store like <laughs> ten times. You know, yeah, but you, makes... you live here for how long? About two weeks, guy. Yeah, Calm exactly, down. exactly. So you kind of, <laughs> you know, you, I kind of felt the other end of that too. So it's kind of given me a, a better perspective. But that small town mafia feel is is definitely a reality. There's what they call legacy families, which is what most of the most of the people in Granby were. You know, we'll get yeah. into the Thompsons, the Dochefs. Like, there's several families that are kind of running this town. They've they've snatched up property over the over the multiple generations that have been there. You know, their grandfather bought up a lot of property, and then they their dad bought up property, and now they're buying up property. And so, like like maybe three or four families a lot of times own these small towns for the most part. And then if you come in, you try and start snatching up land, they see you as a threat. You know, not as like a hey neighbor. You know, we can all be happy here. It's like they, at least in Marvin's opinion, they were trying to stop him from succeeding there because it was getting in their way, you know? Right, right. <clears throat> so initially, though, he did uh, work for a muffler shop in Granby. So he was just kind of fitting in and, and working there, and he was doing really well. He was so good at it that he decided, why not just open up his own muffler shop, you know? I've got the skills on why people are coming here. You know, I'm fixing the mufflers, so why not just open up my own shop and, and make all the money and supposed to just making them wages, Amen. Uh, yep. <laughs> and so it was 1994 when he decided to fully settle in, and he bought the cabin with the hot tub from the deck, and uh, it was on a three-parcel lot. And he his favorite thing to do in the world was snowboard uh, – not snowboard, snowmobile. He had a snowmobile that he had uh, really custom fit. He he was known for creating uh, what he called uh, Heemeyer bumpers or Marvin bumpers. Oh, okay. He would custom fab out of uh round tube steel yeah. and bend it around the uh the edges and this thing could they could take out trees and whatnot dude that's super uh that's super handy because on a snowmobile sometimes you take out trees even when you don't want to exactly so if you got <laughs> you got a marvin bumper you're good that's to go. right you got a marvin bumper yeah and so he 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 actually got quite a few friends and uh one thing they would do is they were called the thursday group every thursday they would all take off work and go ride snowmobiles all day and this went on for years like that. And he had a, it, it, any any given Thursday, it could be either four people or up to like 30 people. Yeah. So, and by That's the way, cool. uh, the, real quick, the studying that we used, the, the main study source I used for this was actually a documentary slash film. It was, it was shot like a film, like it was budgeted like a, like a film. Um, and it's called Tread. You can find it. I bought it on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not for free on there. It was like, I had to pay like seven bucks to rent it. Um, but I don't know where else it's available, but any, probably anywhere you can watch, you know, any, anywhere you can buy video on demand, it's probably available. If you look it up, Tread, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. It's got like 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it's, it's really all you need to know about this case. It dives into everything. It interviews all the different characters, all the people that he had a, a beef with, for the most part, are interviewed in this story, and they're telling their side of it. And it's pretty interesting because you kind of see, like, it seems pretty benign and simple to them they're like no we weren't his he he views it as like this big conspiracy but we were just it wasn't like that it's not like we were meeting at the coffee shop and like how can we hold down marvin you know yeah that's what that was their side you know so it, it, definitely check out the movie if you're interested in this case at all if you haven't already seen it tread you can find that on so yeah that's where i'm getting a lot of this information they they talked to one of the young kids that was a part of the thursday group when they would go out and ride snowmobiles and 
he just really looked at Marv fondly, like like a almost like a father figure because at the time Marv was in his forties and fifties, right? And this kid was like twenty, you know. And right. he's like, Marv I couldn't didn't even have any kids, not married. Yeah, he never had any kids. Um, he did have a serious girlfriend for a while, which we'll get into. But yeah, on these trips, you could really see his ingenuity and his ability to be a leader. He was a leader of this group. Like they were all looked up to him. Everybody in the Thursday group. Yeah. Um, they would, they would use his inventions while they were out there. He had his own grill, the Marv grill when they would cook out there in the snow. Um, he had, he had his own Marv glove dryer. So they'd have like this custom fab thing he built that would go over the top of a fire and dry people's gloves if they got wet. That's nice. Yeah. uh, This dude, he wanted to help people. Uh, You find that a lot when you find these, like these old bachelors or or these older single women, you know, that never really had families. They always, they, it's because, you know, they have this extra money and resources. They want to give them to people. Right. You know, they want to create that community. Even just because they don't have a family at home doesn't mean they don't want to be part of the community. You know? Yeah, and exactly. I think, and I think that's what Marv was try- was genuinely trying to do here. Yeah. And uh, it was said that he was he had to be, he was the alpha of the pack. Like, if, if anyone beat him, as far as, like, if anyone got ahead, like, when they were going up a trail or whatever, they, they said it was the last time that, that person would ever beat him again. So... <laughs> he did have an e- he he had an ego. He wanted to be the man. I think oh, that was no really <laughs> yeah. I think that's a microcosm of this case. Really, I mean, like, yes, I agree. 100%. He probably would have had a real problem with someone who was the same way that went out riding with him. But I think they were it, there was a good blend of guys where they let him kind of take the lead. But yeah, in this small town, when it comes to you know being a small business owner and trying to make your way, he was going to butt heads with other guys like him. And that he wanted to expand his businesses and, and kind of, in a sense, take over the town and mm-hmm. be really successful. And there were other guys, you know, all like Cody, Cody Dochev and the the Thompsons that were just like him in that manner. And, of course, it was, it was going to – they were going to butt heads, and that's what it came to be. Absolutely. Um, John Baldry, a friend of Hemeyer, said that Hemeyer was a likable person. Ken Hemeyer, his brother, said he would bend over backwards for anyone. Um, and yeah, this is like early on in the, in the documentary, they're interviewing people and they're kind of getting a, you know, they're, they're given a good, putting a good outlook on, on Marvin Hemeyer, the person. And a lot of people had a lot of good things to say about him. The, even the Grand County undersheriff at the time, Glenn Trainer, had done work or, or had work done from Marv at his muffler shop and said he was a well-respected member of the community. And he had never met someone early on when he moved there to that community that disliked him. Like he was very well respected and liked. If anyone had a, any kind of problem that needed to be mended, you know, mm-hmm. via welding, he they would take it to Marv and he would fix it up for him. And um, yeah, very well respected as a up and coming businessman in the town. Right. Um, and then the girlfriend that we alluded to, who he had dated for a while, Trisha McDonald, dated Marvin for several years after meeting him at a bar in Grand Lake, Colorado. She had nothing but fond things to say about Marv. Throughout the whole documentary, they're interviewing her, and she still was, like, tearing up talking about him. She really liked him. She had, uh, I think she had lost her first husband, um, and this was the first guy that she was intimate with after that. You know, she was kind of kind of a little bit reluctant to dive into the dating pool, but Marv was very gentle with her and very, very caring and very, yeah. And, very and later on, yeah. as he... St- yeah, very Marv, understanding. I, and I would I imagine that Marv was someone who wasn't typically in a hurry. You know, he kind of worked for himself, he did his own thing, he did things his way. So I think probably when with this with her engaging in a relationship with him showed that he had patience. You know what I mean? It, it, he probably yeah. had the attitude like, yeah, I'll care for you while you're here, but if I'm not for you, 
no big deal, you know? And sometimes right. that's refreshing to meet people like that in your life mm -hmm. where they're low-maintenance friends or, and people who are self-sufficient, you know? People you don't feel like you ha when you engage with them, you have to support them in right. a way. You know what I mean? Whether it be with they're your not time or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I got, exactly. And, and really, the relationship, she said, was, was great. It, it finally, uh, I think things went bad with that relationship when he started getting obsessed with this, with this whole situation with the local government and all these other guys in this town. He started ranting and raving about it all the time. And then they started fighting about little things. And that's when the relationship ended up falling apart because he just got too obsessed with the idea that everyone was out to get him in Granby, you know? <clears throat> uh, so uh, the way that this thing really kicked off and the way that he started to become at odds with the people in the town, it began with something that seemed you know, pretty, like not much was going on, but it was an FDIC foreclosed property auction that uh, occurred. Um, and there was basically like, you know, a bunch of different properties in Granby that were up for auction. And Marv went over there looking for potentially a property that he could buy that he could start his muffler, sh muffler business on. And there was a, a property that was on two acres with a 3000 square foot building on it that uh, was up for auction. I think the auction started at like thirty thousand. Mm -hmm. He ended up he ended up bidding thirty five and then forty because there was another gentleman there that was also bidding on it. But when Marv bid forty, the gentleman didn't bid any higher. Right. Even though allegedly his budget for this property was fifty thousand, he didn't bid any higher than forty. It might have been just out of anger that someone else would even dare to bid against him. I don't know. I but just don't none. think he expected an out-of-towner. I think because of who he was in this town, he's thinking, who's going to be here to buy this auction, be this, buy this little two-acre property in this town? Exactly, he who's got the insider info it. and all that shit. Right. Because the guy, that, the guy was Cody Docheff, who was there that was counterbidding mm -hmm. against Marv. And Cody was accompanied. The, the property, right? Yeah, exactly. Co Cody came there with a $50,000 budget, allegedly. And he was accompanied by town mayor Gus Harris. Gus Harris was the mayor of the town at the time who was there with Cody, and he was supposedly funding the purchase of this. So he, they were going to be partners or something on this property. And Gus said, you know, we had a $50,000 thing, and Cody just didn't bid any higher than once, once Marv bid 40 he ended up getting it. Yeah. And uh, Marv talked about it later, and he's like, you know what? You're mad at me, but that's your fault. You know, you went to an auction, and you didn't bring enough for what you wanted, and I got it. So... Why sorry. are you mad? Yeah, yeah, sorry. And it may have been in the like you said. You, I know you said maybe he was just flustered that someone else was voting or bidding against him, and he forgot or something. But I know mm -hmm. I heard in more than one account that Cody actually stood up on a chair and looked back to try to see who was bidding against him. Like he yeah. was that shocked. Yeah. When I heard that, and I was like, "Oh, okay." He thought this was in the bag. He thought nobody wanted this property, and this, and he probably was going to get it for less than he owed the bank in the first place. So let him foreclose on it, go to the auction, right. buy it back. Now you still got your property anyways for less money. Well, I think what it, what it comes down to is that yeah, maybe he went there with thinking fifty was the most he would pay, but I think he really was kind of planning on getting it for like thirty or whatever. Right, you know, and then there's this guy the, that ruined that take whole plan. The other twenty grand and do what he wants with the yeah. property. If he doesn't have that extra twenty grand, there's no point in getting it. That's why he didn't bid anymore, in my opinion. Yeah, he was being mm -hmm. cheap, and guess right. what? That property ended up gaining value like crazy, which we end up seeing later. Marv sells it oh for four hundred thousand ten years later. So, <laughs> yeah. So he's, uh, you know, there's different accounts of, of what occurs after the auction ends. 
if you uh, Marvin, he you know this documentary starts and he's he's in it. One of the first things he says in this tape is that he buys this property at this auction, and then this guy that he's never met, Cody Dochev, who was counterbidding against it, comes up to him after after he wins the property and is just irate and introduces himself. But he's like, this guy was just a fucking asshole and starts going off on me, you know, about this and that and how dare you. <laughs> and uh and that's kind of what started this whole beef was that the, but cody i i believe marv's thing is why would he make that up first of all and then second of all they interview several other people they interview the thompsons who know cody quite well and everyone in the town says you know cody's cody he is outspoken he's brash and he's basically a, a small man with a big temper mm. and so it, it just kind of fits his character that he would do something like this that he was bidding on a property and that someone else got it, and he would, that's just his character to freak out on the guy. So Yeah, I heard it, the term Napoleon complex get thrown around quite a bit yeah. while studying Cody. Yeah, and even when they interviewed Gus Harris, the, the guy that was the mayor at the time then, and he's just like a bus driver now, an older guy, and he was like, you know, I don't really remember anything occurring like that, you know. But he's like, you could just tell he was he was covering for it because he'd been – He's still to this day is buddies with Cody. Right. They've been friends forever, and they were going there expecting to get this property and snatch up more land because they're legacy families and whatnot in the yeah. town. And this guy came in and threw a wrench in the situation. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of where it begins. And uh, and then it, it's kind of from there it spiraled out of control because he felt like he pissed off the Do- he pissed off Cody Dochev, who has all these connections in town. And right away he gets the property, and it seems like right away they're trying to ruin his chances of doing anything with it because the sanitation board comes to him and says, okay, you got the property. And if you want to do anything with it, you need to connect to city sewer and water. And guess what? The nearest line for sewer is like hundreds of feet away from your property. And the only way to connect to that is to run a line, which is going to cost you anywhere from 50 to $80,000, which is more than you just paid for the property. Right. And he thinks I don't need to connect a sewer. It already had, I guess it had like some kind of makeshift sewer tank. Probably had a on the property, yeah, and he's planning on using it for a muffler shop. So, what's he going to need? One little toilet, maybe. Right. I'm sure he could have just. He would have probably preferred, like, look, I'll just use a bathroom at a neighboring business, or I'll pee in the back lot, or whatever. Yeah. You know, but that's not how these things work. And it, and really, to me, it's like he should have ex- looked and done more research and known that he had to probably connect to this. This is you got to do your due diligence before you just start buying properties. Mm-hmm. You got to know what the utility situation is. And sometimes that stuff happens where you have to connect and it costs a ton of money. That's exactly um, right. Yep. Yeah. My last house was on an acre and I knew eventually because the, there was a city water line that ran down my street and my neighbor who was right on my property line was on city water. I knew it was just a matter of time. If anything happened with my well, they were going to make me connect to water, city water, and it was going to cost me that was part of why I wanted to get out of that problem. I was like, is this gonna it's gonna happen eventually where yeah. they're not gonna let me redrill my well and I'm gonna have to connect to city water's gonna these are the kind of things you have to know as a property owner, you know. So he should have planned and had some money set aside to for things like this that but at the same time, I don't know that they would have made him do this if they didn't have this beef with him either. You know, they I think they let stuff slide with their buddies, with the legacy family guys and the good old boys. Oh, and with this new guy, they were going to stick it to him, and that's the vibe he got from it. And he decided to try and fight fight the system, and he didn't connect right away. He just kind of went on, and eventually it catches up with him and makes it a lot worse off. He should have just maybe connected from the start. Um, and it just yeah, creates I this agree. tension between him and City Hall. And one of the people was Ron, Th- Ron Thompson was, on, was the vice president of the sanitation board, 
He knew Cody Dochev. He knew Gus Harris, the mayor. You know, they were all – he was, in Marvin's eyes, part of the good old boys club. The Thompson family goes back a long way. They were known as a, a Granby legacy family. They'd been around for generations. They had a large excavation company. They also owned many land parcels in Granby. And so the Thompsons became, you know, in uh, in Marvin's grand ideas, he they were they were one of the big parts of the problem. It was you know it was Dochef, it was the Thompsons, it was Gus Harris. We're already getting this list of people that he's got a huge problem with, um, and it just list, continues to grow. Like to call it right, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just continues to grow too. The asshole list gets longer as we go through this, right? <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, so the sanitation board comes to him and tells him he has to connect and all that, and he. He decides he's gonna gonna try and fight it as long as he can. Um, uh, regardless, Marv's muffler shop w- went on and was doing well, making money, trying to fit in. He was trying to fit in with the community still. Um, they didn't put a cease and like kind of a cease and assist to his property yet, as far as like you can't conduct business. But it was an ongoing talking point situation with the uh, with the city board, where he was fighting his case and saying, I don't want to connect and all that stuff. So it just kept going on. Um, then in 1998, the town's leadership decided to spot zone the two acre property directly across from Marv's muffler shop. This is what set him off. This was, this was the moment of no turning back where he decided something's got to be done about this town and it's going to, it's got to be me that does it. Yes. They trapped him with this. Yeah. This he viewed as like a slap in the face because he had, there was this lot across the street from the property he'd bought, which was, it was basically like uns- it was property that couldn't be uh, industrialized essentially however right. the city decided for their for their old buddy Cody Dochev and he viewed Gus Harris the mayor of the time allowing this to happen um and they were basically teaming up on him and Cody wanted the property that uh that Marvin had that he won in the auction and the next best thing would be to buy the property across the street which no one should have been able to buy it was illegal to spot zone like this in Colorado uh, but they did it anyway, and the fact that no one, uh, te- no one, um, no one protested within 30 days, it became lawful th- for them to do this. But I'm sure they didn't inform anyone it was happening until the 30 days was up. You know? Oh, of course not. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So of course, who goes under contract for that property right away? Cody Dochev, of course, longtime friend of the town mayor Gus Harris. And what he was planning on doing with that property was putting in a concrete batch plant, which this this property and the property that Marvin owned across the street were basically right next to community neighborhoods, uh, a bunch of families living right there. Right. And, and so know, Marvin... Concrete plants are horrible to live near. <laughs> yeah, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're noisy, they're, they're dusty as shit. Oh, God, they're so fucking loud and dusty. You're right. The dust just travels for miles. Yeah. And oh. so this just absolutely sets Marvin off. He just, he's, he's down at City Hall every day fighting it. As soon as he hears that there's going to be a concrete batch plant put there, even the fact that that land was sold when it shouldn't have, was zoned to have something like this and sold um, in the first place pissed him off, but especially that it was going to be Cody Dochev across the street with his own con- concrete plant. Um, and this is in his tapes. He has a quote about this situation. Um, yeah. And so they were down at city hall every day arguing, you know, and he had kind of roused up the public for his side, Marvin did. And they were down there arguing against the concrete plant. It's going to create dust. He'd gone and talked to the people in the neighborhoods nearby and, and warned them of what was coming and got them to come down. 
And of course, Cody Dochev at the same time was down at City Hall with his cromies arguing the other side, standing up on chairs, yelling, you know, to the city hall and all that. So, and also so he um, could be seen, he's standing up on yeah. chairs. <laughs> short jokes are the best. Uh. Sorry, short guys. <laughs> um, so this is a quote from his tapes, you know, and throughout the documentary tread, you, you hear so much more than I can even put in the crime line as far mm-hmm. as like his, him telling his whole story. So that's, that I highly recommend. They use the tape, the audio from the tapes a lot. Um, but I really liked this this section when he's talking about his mindset at this time. He says, quote, In nature, wolves, coyotes, they have their territory. Look at the mother. They will fight to protect their young. And a male will definitely fight to protect his territory. If he doesn't, he will be overrun. Now, if an animal will do this, why wouldn't a man? So it's very much like we talked about with him being the leader of the, snowboard, the, the uh, snowmobile group. Right. He views this as Cody Dochev's coming in and pissing on his bed basically he thinks all this is is personal now especially once he saw cody dochev on the on the property title you know i think if somebody else bought it maybe he just goes and fights the concrete plant and then he loses so what maybe he keeps going with his business and life goes on but this was a pissing contest with him and cody dochev yes cody dochev really got under his skin that day when he attacked him after the auction and he basically marvin had a hard-on for him ever since and now he's basically got to share almost a property line with the guy. They're going to be directly staring at each other across the street. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like Bob's Burgers. It's like, it's like grumpy old men almost. Or grumpy old men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like what, what was the Mondo Burger and, and Good Burger? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that movie. Yes, I do. Keenan and Kel. Yes, Good Burger. How could I? Forget? I loved Keenan and Kel back in the day. I know. Kel loves orange soda. <laughs> and coolio doing the intro those are you 90s kids you remember that shit that's good stuff dude yeah so yeah this this really set everything off um and now at this time it he feels like they're they're just continually trying to put their foot on him because the court finally decides now to put their foot down on water and sewer the water and sewer situation that he had been kind of trying to avoid and they they said he has to connect to the city system and he wouldn't be allowed to conduct business on the property until he did also, in the meantime, he would be fined one hundred dollars a day until the situation was resolved. So Damn, that's harsh. They're really coming down on him now. Yeah. They sold off. The, they, they're basically. It feels like it does kind of feel to me like the town is saying "fuck you," new guy. At this point, <laughs> yeah, it does. But at the same time, I feel like he kind of created this hostile like us versus them situation too. You know, I, I get the whole Cody thing. The thing is, I feel like Cody. He even said it in the tapes. Cody would have gone off on anybody that bought that property. And maybe people, anyone else that knew that town and knew Cody would have took it with a grain of salt. Like, yeah, whatever, Cody's a hothead, fuck him. He'll get over it, that type of thing. Right. But Marvin didn't know the guy and took it personal. And then these other things that are happening that seem connected, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Because if you ask the, if you ask the sanitation board, they'd say, this is standard procedure. If you're going to run a business, you have to connect to city sewer. That makes sense, right? That makes like, sense. That you don't get to just sense. have a dump truck with your shit in the back, you know? Like, no. No. You got to do what's can't right happen. for the city. That's so right. You can't put your own septic in you're right having, in the middle of town where it's leaching into the water table and all that. Right. You know, and you you're gotta, having the public, members of the public, in your business. I mean, you need to have proper facilities and, you know, places for them to use the restroom, wash hands, whatever. Like, it needs to be up to par. Yeah. Now, what added insult to injury is they say you have to connect. Now, it would have been 
what's what's funny about it is that it would have been much easier for him to connect before Cody Dochev got his hands on the property across the street because now he has to go through Cody Dochev's property to get the line connected, which Don't. means he needs an easement from Cody Dochev, which Cody Dochev is not going to just give him because they of fucking course. hate each other. Of course not. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. What a tangled um, so, web Cody Dochev yeah, so. Leaves. Yeah, so Marvin, feeling as though his back's against the wall, he hires an attorney and files a lawsuit with the district court against the town of Cody Dochef and the town of uh, Granby. Uh, meanwhile, the construction of the batch plant across the street continued on as if nothing was happening, and he's just standing there from his muffler shop, you know, stewing, I'm sure, every day, staring at that shit going up, even though he's trying to put a halt on it. Oh, you Nine months later... Um, after you know pleading their cases, the ch- district judge dismissed the lawsuit, and Marv's attorney refused to file an appeal, which pissed him off. He then felt like he felt like his uh, attorney was all part of it, like he he had gotten a handout from the from you know higher up members of the town, right? And also took a bunch of his, uh, Marv's money to defend him. And then when Marv said, "We we have enough here to appeal to a higher court," um, if we get out of Granby or whatever, he was like, "Nope, I don't want to appeal it." And so, and to me, it's like, why wouldn't an attorney want to appeal it? Like, that's just more money for him. I, I don't because know. Because he like, took a payout. He was a Granby yeah. attorney. I mean, Marv even said that. He knew that. Yeah. You know, but you got to do what you got to do. I mean, you're in a small town. You got to use the resources around you. I mean, what yeah. was he supposed to do? Yeah. And I think that at this point, he felt so cornered that this is where you start to see, like, he's going, he, this is when he decides, I don't know how, but I'm going to get these motherfuckers back. And you start hearing it in his tapes. The anger rises after these these events. And one of the quotes, um, he said, I shoved the truth in their faces and they couldn't deal with it. But I guarantee you, I'm going to make them deal with it. And so you start hearing these like threats mm. of like, I, I don't know how yet, but I'm going to get them back. I think he had um, some ideas already. It's a, yeah, it's a scary, <laughs> it's a scary thing when a person like Marv, because like we mentioned, he doesn't have kids at this. And at this point, you know, I don't know if he had broken it up with his girlfriend yet, but he's he's kind of a loner at this point, and he's mm-hmm. a very angry guy at a lot of people. And while you're going about your business, you know, Cody Dochev's running his different businesses. The yeah. Thompsons are running their excavation business. You know, the guys on the on the board and the mayor and everybody are just going about their day. They've got stuff to do. He's Dude. just stewing and coming up with plots to get back at you. Exactly. That shit is scary he to has, me. <laughs> he has all the tools of a dangerous man. Yes. Right. He's, he's a very he's, smart guy and very yeah. crafty. He, and also he's single. He's not liable for yeah. anyone. He has plenty mm-hmm. of money. He has skill mm-hmm. and he has anger and he has plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a dangerous person right there. Exactly. So and it, this was kind of the final straw when the uh, court dropped the the lawsuit. He viewed that as like, oh, I have no other options. There's nothing left I can do. They've won. They've beat me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says he was in his tapes. He says at this point he was sitting in his hot tub alone, weeping, just sitting there crying. And suddenly he said a peace came over him when he realized what God had wanted him to do. And that's the missing it, piece. Yeah, God at Turn this the point, key. takes over in his mind and basically leads him in the direction of the path that he takes. And he says that every roadblock that should have been there wasn't because God wanted this to happen. He wanted me to be this righteous soldier and prove these people wrong. Um, and he even said God uh, had not allowed him to have kids because God wanted him to carry this task out. And he knew if he had kids that he wouldn't do it. Um, and very angrily in his tapes, he says, you picked on the wrong man. 
Right. And uh, um, wouldn't it be easier for God just to like let you get the easement on Cody's property? <laughs> or he works in mysterious ways. Let Michael. you keep your septic. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know if this was really God's plan. Um, right. Or just not created the assholes that's created the city. Maybe just make uh, yeah, Cody even... Dochef a little less, a little taller and a little less angry. Right. So God brought you all the way to Danby to teach these people a lesson that they can't do the things that they want to do, but you could do right. the things that you want to do because you have God on your side. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> Works in mysterious ways, man. That's right. That's that's that covers everything you need to know right there. Yeah. Um, but before he takes on however he's gonna get back at these people, um, he has to get add a few more people to the asshole list that we talked about. Oh, here we go. Uh one one being Pat Patrick Brower, who was a local writer and reporter for the Brandby newspaper. He was kind of like the town's reporter guy. You know, he always of knew course. what was going on. He was always down, I'm sure he was always down at down hall. Town hall trying to get the scoop on who's mad at who. And yeah, or at the barbershop. Yeah, exactly. What's the <laughs> scoop, guys? Um, and he claims to have tried to meet with Marv on several occasions. Marv was kind of pissed at him because he wanted to tell his side of the story to the town, you know, and, ple- and try and win over a lot of the residents there, you know, against the, the powers that be, the good old boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and he claims Patrick Brower would never let him tell his side of the story. Patrick Brower, however, who was interviewed in the documentary Tread, continually said that he kept trying to go out and meet um, with Marvin at his muffler shop, and every time he would go down there, he wouldn't be there because he'd be out snowmobiling. Now, I don't don't know if Patrick only showed up on Thursdays because he knew about the Thursday Club and this was his excuse or what the deal was. You know about the Thursday Club, Patrick, you bastard. I tend to lean Marvin on this one a little bit. I think Patrick Brower had opportunities to tell Marvin's story. He was paid by these other guys. Or he was afraid to speak out against the good old boys club and take yeah. Marvin's side because what would it do for him? You know, it probably they, they could probably get him fired or whatever. Well, he's planning um, but, on staying in this town, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's and, a town of nine hundred people. Exactly, and the part that made me think that Patrick Brower wasn't really was was kind of lying when it came to like he I never had the chance to tell his story is he said that. At one point, he, he ran into Marv, and Marv said, when are you going to let me tell my story? And he's like, you know what, Marv, how about I just give you a free advertisement in my newspaper? It's a $200 value. I'll take a picture of you, and I'll post an article about your muffler shop or whatever. And that, I'm like, well, if you had the time to do that, why didn't you just interview him real quick? You know what I mean? Like, you give him a free ad, that's kind of like escape. You know, kind of like it seemed like it was a cheap way out, in a sense. Well, they don't want to put his story in the paper. Because that wouldn't I mean, piss anybody it's... off, just doing an ad for him. And, and no. not everybody even knows that you gave it to him for free. As far as they know, he paid for it. Right. He's so, just trying uh, to pull a fast one. He's trying to he's trying to brush off Marv while also not offending his his good mm-hmm. old boys, his buddies. Yeah. yeah. Um, now another another person added to the asshole list would be Casey Farrell, who owned a department store called Gambles in Branby and served on the town council. He would end up voting in favor of the batch plant and became another target for Marvin. So he was kind of on the side. He heard out Marvin's uh, complaints about it, and they kind of adjusted things for Cody Dochev. They said, Cody, you need to make sure these people have a valid point. You need to make sure that the dust is controlled and this and that. And he said, but other than that, I think we got a good deal here that you can run your batch plant and all that. And Casey Farrell continually spoke in favor of Cody Dochev's concrete plant, so that became another person um, on Marvin's hit list, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, um, after voting for it as part of town council. Um, Patrick Brower claims that before the lawsuit was dropped and while Cody Dochev's plant, uh, batch plant was being built, 
the Dochevs called up Marvin and said that if he dropped the lawsuit, they would give him the easement and uh, to connect to city and water. And at that point, Marvin hung up on them. So Too supposedly late, he bitch. had, yeah, <laughs> supposedly he had the chance to connect and get the easement from Cody Dochev if he just dropped the lawsuit. Um, yeah. But it he's wasn't too about stubborn the lawsuit anymore, dude. It wasn't about it. He was bent no. on revenge right now. Yeah, uh, that's what hey, I'm saying. Hey, uh, maybe maybe Marv, this was God stepping in and telling you to just connect. That's ex- that's exactly my point. Is like it's when it's convenient for him carrying out his plan, things look to him like God's telling me to do it. But then when there's things that are counter to that, he just kind of <laughs> ignores them. That's what's convenient about it. You know, it's like, this was a chance to... Mm-hmm. This was to, a chance. You know, this is what you were he, looking for. Yeah, he could have kind of buried the hatchet with Cody here. You know what? Yeah. Yep. Thank you for for offering me this. I'll drop the lawsuit and we'll just let bygones be bygones and I'll get the easement and I'll be across the street okay. running my muffler shop right. successfully and you'll be over there with your concrete plan and we can just fucking move on. Okay, so here's the thing, right? The whole reason you got the lawyer and started the lawsuit was just to get the easement, right? I mean, on paper, no, that's I think what there was, Marv said. I, I know, but that's think, what he said. Yeah. Then right. You got that. You won. Yeah, you spent a lot of money and you went through, but you won mm-hmm. in a sense. But I guess he figured, well, I've done lost so much money. On this, on this lawyer who is and also pride. one of them. It was them. all pride. I don't and even think pride. it was money. I don't think it was ever money for him. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that uh, Marvin was even really motivated by money. I think money. He just wanted enough to be able to go snowmobile, snowmobile, and live somewhat comfortably, which he always had. I think it was about pride for him, and he'd felt like he'd been embarrassed by the the powers that be at this town. He initially wanted to be one of them. I think he even ran for town council or whatever when he first moved to Granby and they denied him and I think that may be where this thing really started you know and ever since then he kept getting justified in his views that they didn't want him to be a part of anything hmm. um, and so I think that's what it was about I think it was uh, he just felt he almost felt like a kid on the schoolyard that couldn't that they you didn't know, allow to fit in with the cool group you know right because he kept mentioning them snickering at him after he lost a lawsuit he kept saying you know I'd go down to the to the to the uh, male place and the, the members of the council be snickering at me every time. He just had this view that he was a, a, a joke to the town, which I don't think everyone else was as obsessed with him as he thought they were. I think That's they were all busy, like I said, running their businesses and everything else. There's a, there's a hint of narcissism here. There's a hint of mm-hmm. I'm the center of everyone's life with no one. You, you're really not. Yeah, but maybe they did snicker at him because, oh, there's that crazy guy again. But then they moved on with their lives. It's not like it was all day long. They were just talking about Marv, you know? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I mean, if mm-hmm. he yeah, if he walked in and made a scene, and I'm sure he was not in the best mood everywhere he went, probably like slamming convenience store oh, yeah. doors open and shit. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I fucking asked for three creams in my coffee, yeah. they gave me two, and then they Just, snickered on my way out. What the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> Just throw your coffee in the floor and walk out. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's at this point in the story where he has another chance where you could view it as God stepping in and telling him to just cut out the nonsense and and stop with this whatever plan you're hatching up to get back at the town because following the dismissal of the lawsuit, Cody Dochev, you know, so he had reached out before and said, I'll give you the easement if you drop the lawsuit. Now the lawsuit's over and Cody Dochev comes to him and offers him $250,000 for his property. Uh, which is what he was asking. Marv actually had the property up for sale and was asking two fifty. Cody Dochev offered him the two fifty, having the property across the street, thinking, "Okay, I can have this whole square point, you know, in town, right on the main strip to to expand my concrete business and whatnot." Mm-hmm. Uh, Marv accepted. 
he then immediately refused and said that he wanted three hundred seventy-five thousand, which Cody agreed to. Mm-hmm. Three hundred seventy-five thousand. Yep. Marv then backed down again, uh-huh. backed out of it, and this is just pride, as we say. Here we go. There's two. He chances. bought this property for forty thousand dollars, and now he's able to flip it for three hundred seventy-five grand to his enemy. And you know what's funny is if you look at it from the standpoint, how could he have not won here? He won the auction bid, right? For the guy, this is a property that Cody wanted, right? Mm-hmm. He wanted it for forty grand. Exactly. He didn't get it, and now you're you're selling it back to the guy that initially wanted it for way less for eight times or whatever it is. You know, you're 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 basically ripping the guy off, and he, you know, it still wasn't enough. He had to get back at them in a in a more dramatic way, I guess. Yep. If God wanted to stop the bulldozer, man, this is the number one way he was trying to do it right here. Three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Yep, for it's a property just, you bought for forty grand ten years before. Yeah, and I'm, you made a bunch of. I mean, he made a lot of money. He was really successful with the muffler shop for a long time too. So it's yeah. not like he didn't get anything else out of the property. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna catch so much shit from people who love this guy, but I mean, this is the real story. This is, this yeah. is the real thing. Like, you want the facts or or not? Do you want to have a make believe folk hero or do you want the facts? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It's one of those cases. I mean, I, I don't I don't view him as has like this evil person. Obviously, no, we, he's we not said, an evil I don't person. think he was out to kill anybody either. Like I people there are arguments out there that said, well, he could have, you know, but I think he knew damn well that wherever he was headed was not going to be very fast and that whatever he was, you know, coming at with this bulldozer was going to be evacuated by the time he got there. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Now, had he cha- he did had he had a chance to get a clean shot on Cody Dochev? Knowing that he was not going to make it out of this day anyway, he probably would have taken it. And he did shoot in Cody Dochev's direction. We'll get into all that, but um, let's let's stay on track. In the summer of 2002, Marvin took a trip out to California, and this is where this whole thing, this whole uh, plan that he's going to undertake, this is like the uh, the beginning of it, is, is the purchase of this item that he goes out to California. He goes to another auction. And this is really a case about auctions, isn't it? It starts with an auction and ends with an auction. Um, And in California, this auction was not for foreclosed properties, however. It was an auction for heavy machinery. At the auction, Marv ended up getting a smoking deal on a Komatsu D355 bulldozer. This thing was a massive piece of equipment with tracks instead of tires. It was 11 foot, 10 inches tall, 28 and a half feet long when you include the... uh, Scoot the uh, shovel on the front. Right. Um, over 10 feet wide with an 1,175 cubic inch turbocharged engine. Um, and that was before the many, and I say many, modifications that Marvin would soon make to this <laughs> bulldozer. So I, uh, I I recommend you look up the Komatsu D355 bulldozer and see what a tank this thing is already and then think about what he then does to it and then look up the pictures of what he does to create pretty much a killdozer um, with this thing. Um, he had Pretty the, uh, yeah, he had the dozer shipped to his muffler shop property and kept it parked at the entrance with a for sale sign on it through the winter of 2002 and into 2003. And I liked this part in the documentary because they interviewed the other members of the town. They interviewed the Thompsons and they're like, yeah, we're sitting there eating dinner and we see this, this tractor come in. <laughs> we, we see this trailer come in pulling this big ass bulldozer and we see it pull up to, uh, Marvin Hemeyer's property. And we're like, what the hell is he going to do with that damn thing? And then he, they, they said that he kept it parked right at the entrance to his, facing Cody Dochev's property as some kind of a threat. Like, he just kept it there all winter, pointing towards Cody Dochev's <laughs> property. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I don't know what if he, if he bought this thing knowing what he was going to do 
or if he just saw that he had a good deal on it because he does he does put this for sale sign it on it and he had it for sale for quite a while yeah and no one bought it uh, but he probably was no trying to make it. money on it though wasn't he he was probably trying to flip yeah. it pretty much yeah oh he's definitely trying to make money i don't know they never said what he paid for it at auction in the documentary but they said what he was trying to sell it for which was 33,000 yeah um but yeah he probably got it for like 15 or something at the auction you know right you could have probably but, tacked on an extra thirty thousand to the three seventy five, and Cody probably would have bought all of it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know what? Four hundred grand, man. You can have everything and the bulldozer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yep. It wasn't good enough, though. You know? It wasn't good enough. And so after that, after that winter, when the the uh, the tractor had sat there, um, Marv decided to put all of his property and belongings up for sale, knowing that he couldn't lawfully operate his muffler shop anymore without connecting to city sewer, which seemed impossible at this point. Um, he put everything up uh, to an auction, uh, including the dozer and his property, and he said that it was God's will that prevented people from buying the bidding uh, bidding on the dozer and the shop. Those are the two things he said. Everything else that he owned sold except for the shop and the dozer. Um, um, and he he viewed this as as even more of God telling him to continue on to the the war path that he was on. I feel like nobody wanted that because they didn't want problems with uh, Cody and the Thompsons and all them. Perhaps, you or know? maybe they just had no need for a bulldozer. You know, it's not like a common thing you really need. Right, but I like mean, everybody I'm, I'm in this town like already had front loader tractors. Stuff. They had everything else you could need for. They all already had what they needed to conduct their businesses, and then he comes up with this massive bulldozer. He's trying to sell for thirty grand. Right, like, yeah, I'm good. That's true. It's a town of nine hundred people. Like, what's the chances of one of them want to buy a bulldozer? You know. Yeah, if they if they needed a bulldozer, odds are they already had one too. You know. True that. Um, then in the fall of two thousand three, Travis. Boosie, who was a, a local businessman, he had a trash company that was growing at the time, and he was looking for a property much like what Marv had. It kind of fit his needs. It had the, the 3,000-square-foot building that he could park his trucks in in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was looking forward to using this in the winter, and, um, and it had the, the lot big enough to you know, accommodate his growing business. He ended up offering 400000 to Marv for the property, um, and Marv accepted under the condition that uh, Marvin could back rent the building on the property that Marvin had now put. Uh, he had put his dozer in there in the building. He'd taken it from the uh, front entrance and put it inside. And he viewed that also as further proof that God wanted him to do this because the dozer fit through the, the garage door of his, his uh, muffler, former muffler shop by two inches. The dozer, as we mentioned, was 11 feet, 10 inches tall, and the door was 12 feet So by two inches, it fit. And he was like, "That. what more do you need? I don't need any more evidence that I'm supposed to do this. Here's the thing. If it didn't fit, he's a fucking welder. He's going to cut the top off of it and then (laughs) weld it back on later. Like, get get off it, Marv. Yeah, it actually didn't fit initially. And he's like, wouldn't you know, I was able to cut a new door, so God wants me to do this. (laughs) What do you know? I can mold metal. Nothing stands in my way. (laughs) Yeah, so he sells the property, but he's back renting the building where he is going to undertake the construction of this killdozer. And the plan is in full effect at this point. And he's working tirelessly. He learns the comings and goings and the schedule of the trash company, Travis's trash company. He knows that by like 5 p.m. they're all done. They're all wrapped up and they head home for the night. And that's when he would begin his work. He pretty much sleep during the day while Travis's trash company was in business so that he wasn't in there making a ruckus and kind of drawing attention to himself. Right. And then at night he would work tirelessly. He had set up a little... Uh, a little section inside the shop where he could sleep and make coffee, and it would be like four days on end before he would go take a shower where he would actually leave and go somewhere to shower. 
and uh, and get something to eat. He was just basically working on this thing every night, all night. Um, so let's yes. get into the, the construction of the killdozer. And this thing was almost indestructible by the time he was done. Um, he uh, installed cameras with digital screens inside the cockpit so that he could see the outside world. The, those screens on the outside, or the, the cameras, were protected by three-inch thick bulletproof Lexan. Um, he was basically using half-inch thick steel, plated steel, to completely reinforce the entire bulldozer and turn it into a tank that way. And he was taking the half-inch steel and putting brackets between it with like a couple-inch gap and then pouring concrete between the steel plates to mm-hmm. where this shit, you could pretty much hit it with an RPG or any kind of rifle that you can imagine, and there was nothing that was going to happen to it. That's incredible. Um, he made three gun ports fitted for a 50 caliber rifle, a, three, a 308 semi-automatic, semi-automatic rifle, and a 22 caliber LR rifle, all fitted with half-inch thick steel, as we mentioned, protecting it. So there's just a little hole where the barrel could come out, and he had them rigged to where they were kind of hanging um, from different spots inside the cockpit of this thing to where he could kind of like maneuver and the gun was already positioned to fire. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it took almost a year and a half to uh, complete the construction of this killdozer uh, from when he began assembling it and he readied himself for the attack. So you know, this thing, you have to look up pictures of it to understand because as we mentioned, it was already huge, but it was it just got so much bigger. Yes. And, uh, and it's... And it's riding around on, on tracks as though if it is like a World War One tank, you know. So, like, you can't attack it. You can't throw down a spike strip. You can't shoot nope. its tires. Like, it, it's... You can't stop it till the engine dies, pretty much. Yeah, and he actually... You can do. And he actually had no plans of leaving this tank once he entered it. Um, he wanted no weaknesses on this thing. So, usually the weakness of a tank is if you can get up on top and get access to the hatch. You know, you can attack it in that way. He actually used a homemade crane to lower the armor uh, armor hole over the dozer and himself. So there was no way out other than death for him to get out of there. He'd have to blow himself out of there, essentially. God, dude, this, that's a long time riding around knowing you're not getting out of that thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like when you decide to commit suicide, you usually I don't think he get decided a long time ago, time. though. You don't get you think that about much. it. Really? Yeah, I think he'd spent many nights sitting in that hot tub drinking a beer and thinking about, you know, this day and how he knew, you know, it was going to be the day. I don't think it was like, once he got in there, I think he was already like the adrenaline was, he was already ready. I don't think he was thinking too much about that. He was thinking more about destroying as much as he could possibly destroy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that moment's got to be but odd. What, what as the, as the bulldozer starts to slow, you know, you're like, hmm. That's the moment. I think that's the moment that, that goes through my head is like yeah. that moment when you realize it's over. No more fun to be had. This mm-hmm. is the, the moment. That's w- which we'll get to. But because he knew there was going to be an end, he was either, he talked about it. He was like, either they're going to find a way to stop me, which I don't think is likely, or I'm going to go all day long and I'll run out of gas. But I've got a lot of gas in this thing. <laughs> that's <what he> said. <laughs> so that's pretty close to what happened. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he knew that it was there was there was going to come an end to the right. day. It was not going to continue on forever. So. Let's talk about it. The Day of Reckoning is what we'll call it. June 4th, 2004. Marvin, as we mentioned, having no intention of leaving the cabin once he entered it, used a homemade crane to lower the armored hull over himself into the dozer. And then such a badass way to start 
the rampage is that he just drove right out the fucking building that he was in <laughs> his own former muffler shop. He just drove right through the wall. Travis was like, what the fuck, man? God. <laughs> yeah, I right. thought we were cool. <laughs> you were just renting the building, motherfucker. I still own it. But to be fair, with the new armor on top of it, it probably wouldn't clear the door anymore. Oh, no. It was not fitting right. through the two-inch gap anymore. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> but also, just such a more badass way to start a rampage. Yeah, just drive is. right through the building you were housing door. your machine. Out the wall. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, so he drove right out the wall of his former muffler shop and headed straight across the street for you-know-who. Uh, Old the Angry oh, Inch, Cody Dochev's concrete plant. Um, the main office of the concrete plant made the first call to 911 um, as the dozer methodically destroyed several buildings on the lot. And Cody Dochev and his workers and buddies that are on the property at the time are trying everything they can to stop this thing to no avail. They figure it's got steel tracks, you know, like a tank. So grab the biggest metal rod you can find and let's try and take the tracks out. They, they find this big-ass rod. And they shove it in the tracks, and absolutely nothing happens. It doesn't slow it one bit. Um, Cody then uh, asks somebody for a gun. One of his buddies has a loaded revolver, hands it to Cody. He starts firing at it. <laughs> That's obviously not going to do anything, a yeah. little revolver. You're, You're more likely ammo, to Cody. have that Just bullet ruin. come back and hit you than to do anything to this freaking tank. Right. <laughs> um, they then decide they're going to get the the biggest front end loader they have on the concrete plant and Cody's gets behind the wheel of it and goes up and tries to get under the tracks and use the front end loader to lift this thing, which it actually lifted the front end loader tractor all off the ground, all except for one tire, three of the four tires were off the ground and the, the uh, bulldozer had not moved an inch. It had not been lifted one bit. It was so heavy so many tons. I forget how many tons they said this thing was after he reinforced it with these concrete plates and or these steel plates filled with concrete. And everything. It had to have been like 60 tons or something. It's crazy that the bulldozer made it as long as it did with all that extra weight, you know? I mean, I know those those motors are made to carry, you know, the bulldozer and to push mm-hmm. extra weight and whatnot, but carrying that much around and still being able to cause the destruction it caused, like... That says a lot for that machine, man. It's kind of what's funny about it is that it was moving so slow. It was like this slow rolling death machine. Like they could see where it, they knew where it was going. They <laughs> yeah. knew where he was headed, but yeah. they couldn't do a damn thing to stop it. You know, it's like it's almost like a volcano and the lava is slowly moving. And you're like, there's nothing we can do to stop it. It's going to destroy whatever it's in its path. That's right. Um, and so now that Cody's in his front end loader and he's trying to lift this thing, uh, Marvin sees an opportunity to use his guns for the first time. He has the rifle port that's actually pointed on the side that Cody's trying to lift with the front end loader, and he begins firing out with his 50 cal rifle towards the front end loader, and he's actually hitting the, the the bucket in the front. So he's he's not even really close to hitting Cody, but it's enough to where Cody decides to get you know to get the fuck out of here and backs the front end loader and takes off, and they basically have to just sit there and watch as Marvin destroys all of the buildings on their concrete plant and uh, and uh, moves on. After decimating <laughs> the concrete batch plant, one officer... So there's some, there's now police officers that have began to arrive at the concrete plant, and uh, Marv begins actually firing rounds towards the police officers before they fire anything at him. They'd been hiding behind a concrete barrier on the property. He begins firing rounds in their direction. One officer said that he heard bullets fly by his head, so... I guess that's a notch in the side of maybe he was trying to harm people or kill people. Right. Because um, he easily, if, if it came that close to the guy, that officer's head, then it could have hit the officer's head and, hey, and 
it just occurred yeah. to me. What do you think would have happened if if a person would have just stepped in front of him to try to stop him? He would have ran right over him. Yeah. I have no That's doubt in I my mind too. he would have ran right over them. That's what I think, too. So it's like, They would have been you, hamburger meat. It's like, does it even help to say that he didn't kill anybody? I, I mean... I guess not. He would have killed people, really, the more you think about it. He would have, right? He can't get out of there. What's he going to do? Yeah. Just be like, oh, I can't go anywhere. There's people all around me. I, yeah, guess, I guess I'll just I sit just here give up. And get arrested. Yep. No, I don't think so. No, this was a GTA rampage where he was just racking up stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was trying to get much. to that five-star mark. Oh, he got there quick, buddy. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're hiding behind this concrete barrier. He's firing rounds at them, and then he starts to slowly and methodically heading towards the concrete barrier that they're hiding behind. Obviously, as he gets near, you know, I imagine it's like that that scene in uh, in uh, Austin Powers with the, the steamroller thing. He's like, no, nah. just nah. put his hand up. <laughs> it's just calling, calling at half a mile an hour towards you. They decide to run off before, they, before it gets there, and he plows right over the concrete barrier that they were hidden behind. Of course. And um, after decimating the concrete batch, he's on his way to his next destination. He's got this list of, I, I imagine he's got this map drawn up of locations. He's going to head from here mm-hmm. to this fucker that I hate and yep. then to that bastard that I hate and then to this guy, you know, the Thompsons, Gus Harris, Dochef obviously was number one on the list. Thank God everybody lives a, so close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so he's on his way to his next destination and the police have, you know, they're trying anything they can. They figure what we talked about as far as like the hatch on the top of a tank being the weak point. They figure maybe that's the case with this machine that he's built. And an officer named Glenn actually climbs on top of the dozer at this point as it's leaving the concrete plant and is riding down the street. There's pictures of him riding on top of this thing down the road and he's trying anything he can up there. He sees an AC vent, you know, that was kind of keeping Marvin cool and giving him some fresh air while he's inside this freaking metal box. Um, so he decides to shoot a gun down into the AC vent. He sees no no change, nothing happens. Tank, you know, it's still rolling down the road. Um, someone throws up some flashbang grenades to him. He then shoves those down the exhaust port on the top. Nothing happens, and he realizes that there's no way in up on top, and that he's basically just just riding along at this point. And he actually rides along through the next destination, which is Mountain Parks Electric, the local power company. Uh, and that would be the next building that Marvin Hemeyer would destroy in his killdozer. He just methodically, how he did it too, you can watch the video. He would basically come up to the side of the buildings and just kind of back in and out, just destroying the, the structural outer outer walls of buildings Yeah, he would like without actually in. collapsing the building on top of him. I'm right. sure if he went straight in, there's a chance the roof and everything would fall and he would kind of get stuck in the rubble. Exactly. But he would like scrape down the side wall with like half mm-hmm. the bucket. And it, yep. it would just destroy the structural integrity of the entire building and he could exactly. still you know make a left or a right and get away from the rubble it's pretty smart mm-hmm. he thought about this for a while man he didn't think about the one weakness of that plan which is basements which was would mm. be the final the final stop was a building with a basement right um but for now he had many more buildings to destroy and so mountain parks electric was destroyed as far as i could tell the cop was still riding on top as he destroyed the electric building because he said that he finally jumped down afterwards when marv was headed towards town hall yeah, you heard me. Town Hall would be his next stop yeah. on this destruction Most likely path. a brick build. And that dude was like, yeah, this is my stop. I'm getting the hell off of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, after destroying Mountain Park's electrics uh, building, Marv headed down for Town Hall. And they already knew. Like The police are now putting back. Uh, they're, they're using reverse 911 emergency system to call all the businesses and everything. And now they're calling Town Hall, letting them know that uh, this this 
fucking tank basically is heading towards their building to evacuate because there was a community library attached to the town hall in which kids and other people were present minutes before Marv arrived. Mm -hmm. So they had to get everyone the hell out of there. Uh, in which he uh, proceeded to decimate, decimate town hall, including the outdoor children's playground, which is you can see pictures of just mangled piping and tubing of what used to be a playground, just kind of sad. Mm. Um, and he, yeah, he just absolutely wrecked town hall where he'd had so many frustrating moments where he felt like the whole town hall was out to get him and working against him all the time. Um, that I wonder if that, which one I which, wonder which one of these was the most satisfying for him. The, probably the concrete plant, right? Just that was like his direct. Oh, enemy. definitely Cody's. Yeah. Everything else yeah. was bonus. As long as he got to destroy uh, Cody's concrete factory, I think he was good. Yeah. By now, police are completely surrounding the dozer on foot and in cars. They're basically like trekking alongside him with shotguns and all these things that are useless <laughs> against this thing and just kind of trying to figure out anything they can do. Um, but there was nothing they can do. So just along for the ride, watching him and having no way of stopping him. Marv's next target would be Sky High News. The office of the local newspaper writer Patrick Brower, who we'd mentioned, who wouldn't give him the press he thought he deserved. The dozer plowed right into the building over and over. And this is a building that actually completely collapsed. Like the roof, everything collapsed on this building. He destroyed it so bad. Oh my um, gosh, the one dude. thing that I thought that was interesting, everybody in everybody they interviewed that remembers this day that was there says the number one thing that they they still can hear in their head is the metal tracks. It is very reminiscent of war, you know, the screeching of those metal tracks on concrete. Right. You know, so they all, that was like the first thing they said, I still remember those tracks, which is why I'm sure they named the documentary Tread. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and plus the snowmobiles too. It's like, it's a little bit of, yeah. there's tread everywhere in this guy's life. He's getting tread on, you know, don't yeah. tread on him. There's a lot of yeah, tread going there you on. Go. Um, of course, you can't you can't have a rampage in uh, Granby without uh the Harris or the uh, the Thompsons being on the list, the the Thompson legacy family, the owners of the the uh, excavation company, um, who he hated so much. The Tom, I think the Thompsons were really what he want, aspired to be. They talked a lot about this because they seemed like they were interviewed in this documentary throughout the whole thing, and they just really seemed like guys that would be hard to to hate. They're just like so easygoing. Like one of them collected die cast uh, toys. You know, he's just they were just <laughs> everyday hardworking guys that just. They're sitting there like, yeah, uh, I don't know why I hated us. They just, <laughs> they hated us. <laughs> they, yeah. If you you gotta watch it because the Thompsons are just like they, they really seem easy going. I don't. It, he just I and then what they said is like I think he hated us because he wanted to be basically us. We were very successful businessmen mm-hmm. in this town, you know, and that's what he wanted to be. But well, he wanted to be a part of. It. He wanted to be in, and he'd mm-hmm. already ruined that. And then now he has too much pride. It's he wasn't a can't beat him, join him type of fella. He was more of a can't beat them, can't beat them, uh, destroy them with a bulldozer, just till you they're destroyed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Thelma, Thelma Thompson was asleep in her bed only thirty minutes before Marv arrived and leveled her home as well as several structures and tractor trailers on the Thompsons' property. He flipped over a tractor trailer that was there. He took a truck, like a pickup truck, and shoved it through one of their rental buildings. <laughs> like literally pushed it inside <laughs> the building. Uh, yeah, it just went around methodically wrecking their whole property, the Thompsons. Uh, by now, residents had gathered up on a hill and were watching the Thompsons' property be destroyed. It was become like a local uh, entertainment venue now. Oh, you know. They're it. sitting up there like it's a concert watching. How could um, you look away? 
I know. I was, of course you would. Dude, you I was would watching see this. I was watching some news video of the wreckage and my son came in here and before I know it he's just standing behind me watching the entire thing. I was like Right? It's just fascinating. <laughs> it is fascinating. It's, it's so strange to see in living color like the video of this. It looks like it, it looks like they're filming a, a movie, you know, like Steven Spielberg's in town and they're filming some shit. Yeah. It, it just looks fake. This giant rolling fucking tank going through a town and just destroying everything and no one can stop it. Yeah, it really does. Marvin then headed, headed for another utility company, the Independent Gas Company. On their site, there were many large industrial-sized propane tanks, which were full and surely part of Marv's plan. I think this this was, you know, really like this grand plan. He was going to blow these things up and just wreak havoc on the entire town. And what's sad is like really close by to this gas company was a trailer park with, you know, many residents and uh, an old folks home. There was a retirement center mm-hmm. really close by enough, clo- close enough that if he had destroyed these propane tanks, they definitely could have, could have hurt a lot of people over there. Right. And so he, he enters the uh, propane plant and the police are freaking out at this point. They're go- they're calling over the radios for everyone to stay at least a thousand feet back. Cause they know what he's trying to do. He positions his dozer on a small hill near the propane tanks and begins firing incendiary rounds towards well, what he thought was towards them. But he actually, luckily for everyone involved, the, uh, the uh, ripper on the dozer was kind of in the way. Like it was digging down and it was blocking the, the port where the rifle was with the incendiary rounds. And so every time he was shooting, it was striking his own, his own armor. And <sighs> they, were, they were basically exploding right. and you could see the, the smoke coming out. And Good. so they were. That the was God telling him that was too far, Marv. That's right, too Marv, far. too much. God had to step too in much. there. You're going to kill children and old people now, Marv. Jesus, Marv. Not your enemies. Calm your ass down. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of gives up on the whole propane tank idea. And that was really, thank, man, thank God that didn't happen. Who knows what? Because, I mean, there were so many of these massive, massive propane tanks all mm-hmm. over the place. You, you blow one up, they're all going to go. Who knows what the fuck oh, happens? Oh, yeah, it's a chain reaction. Who knows how far the shrapnel goes? Yeah, it would yep. be bad. Yeah. And so as he's pulling out of the gas company, the police had now gone to new lengths. They had talked to a local uh, construction company, and they'd gotten their biggest uh, scraper, which is, a if you know, you know, those big scrapers are a massive fucking uh, vehicles. Right. It's actually probably like twice the size of the dozer, like in length for sure. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, a, it looks like a big caterpillar. But probably you know? not in weight. I'm going to go out. No, definitely not in weight. Definitely not. And you see that That's where because, yeah, <laughs> because this, this big scraper met the tank and we have this face off at the top of the hill, leaving the, uh, the uh, gas company and it kind of blocks the path. It's sitting, it's actually smart though. Driver, this, this scraper, the way he, he did this, he sat Right at the top of this little hill where he had traction, he was sitting on he was sitting on pavement, while the dozer was going up a dirt hill, and he met him to where you know he had his best chance. You know he's got he's got the the high the high point, mm-hmm. he, he, you know he's got elevation on his side and he's got traction on his side, but it doesn't fucking matter because this kill dozer <laughs> just pushes him right out of the way like it's a hot knife through butter, blasts him backwards and is on his way, back on the main mm-hmm. highway again and headed now towards the Gamble store owned by Casey Farrell. The, uh, the town council guy who had voted uh, voted in favor of the concrete batch company being uh, put into existence. Yeah, how dare you. Yeah, and this would spell the end for the Killdozers rampage. Uh, Gambles would end up getting the best of old, uh, old Marvin in the end. Right as the dozer was reaching the strip of businesses, which included Gambles, uh, two problems arose as he, Myers, uh, 
as Hemeyer destroyed this uh, this section of businesses, starting with the uh, the copycat printing company, was right on the end of this strip of businesses, including Gamble's, took out the front of the printing company. But as he was approaching these buildings, you see a big puff of white steam and smoke. Yes. And it was essentially the radiator. Uh, something had blown, and there was radiator fluid leaking all over the hot components of this the engine in this thing. So mm-hmm. it's losing, it's going to start losing power now because it has no way of staying cool. That's right. It's, it's going to overheat. Quick. Yeah. So it, it, that happens as it's approaching these buildings, it starts losing power as it's taken out the buildings, it's taken the wall out of the side of gambles. And as we had mentioned, a basement uh, was not considered. A lot of people didn't know that the gambles store had a basement and I'm sure that Marvin didn't because if he did, he wouldn't have drove into the inside. Of the, he drove kind of through the sidewall and into the store, which collapsed the floor and uh, sending one of the tracks into the basement and putting the the uh, t- the uh, dozer on a tilt to where it had no way of gaining any traction with its tracks, and it was stuck there. Mm. So he's finally stuck. He's trying to back. He's trying to go forward, and nothing's happening. Um, now the police kind of tentatively stay back knowing that he knows this is the end. What's he got planned now? Is he going to start firing out? Is it going to be a gunfight? Is he going to, does he have a way out? Is he going to jump out and start shooting at us? He's going to blow something up. Who knows? They're kind of tentatively staying back. And about one minute later, uh, one of the SWAT team members who had swarmed around the machine reported hearing a single gunshot from inside the sealed cab. Um, and it would later be determined that Marvin Hemeyer had shot himself in the head with a 357 caliber handgun finally ending this insane rampage, which would end up lasting for two hours and seven minutes, damaging 13 buildings, and was an estimated damage cost of about $7 million. Oh, my God. Yeah. But you know what? Just insurance is going to pay for it. They're really the only ones that pay yeah. for it. That's like, true. I mean, he, it's, he thinks it's that he hurt while, all these but... people, but he really didn't. He would have hurt Cody a lot more just making him pay the 375 for his property and going on living yeah. his life. He really didn't hurt any of these people, I really don't think. I mean, he didn't hurt anyone physically, except for maybe that cop that rode on top for a while. That guy probably, yeah. that guy probably had a few bruises. Didn't he ride through a building? But he had a badass. He, more than anything, I guarantee you he would do it again. Because, dude, just the pic, I would have that picture blown up and put on my wall of me riding Hell on top yes. of that fucking thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the dude. stories you get to tell your kids, like, yeah. Oh, no doubt. Everyone, like, he's, he's the real winner. Everyone knows about the killdozer. I was the guy that rode on top of it. He's the real winner in this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely that cop. Glenn was his name. Glenn. Old Glenn. Of course go, Glenn. his name was Glenn. <laughs> as much as Marv's are sneaky, Glenn's are fucking heroic, usually. <laughs> right? We'll, go, we'll entitle this one, The Heroic Story of Glenn. <laughs> this is really a story of Glenn's and Marvin's. You know? That's right. Glenn was born. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get into Glenn. He shares a birthday with. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so police, it, it took them quite a while to even get into this thing. First, they tried using explosives uh, in an attempt to remove the steel plates, but after the third explosion failed, they cut through them with uh, something we've used quite often, an, an oxygen acetylene cutting torch. Oh, yeah, that'll do which it. Which is, I'm, I'm sure, what in large part he used to you know, build the plates you know, in, the, in the correct shapes and stuff. Um, those, those torches will cut through just about anything. Yep. And so they actually didn't gain entry until the next day, and they, they didn't remove the body until 2 a.m. on June 5th. Um, when they discovered him in there with a single gunshot wound, he had put the uh, the, thir- the thirty eight in the roof of his mouth and pulled the trigger. Um, I think it was a three fifty seven. Three fifty seven. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty good sized caliber there. Yeah, that'll do it. Man. Um, and uh, the fate of the bulldozer was one part that I thought was kind of funny in the documentary is uh, the uh, the Thompsons. They were like, 
I was pissed that they cut that thing up and got rid of it. That we should have put that made a museum out of that thing. We just would have made this town a whole lot of money. The Thompsons Seriously. always trying to make money. <laughs> like, it, it would have though. Imagine having that. That'd make that'd be a hell of a tour. That'd be a reason to go see the Granby, this small town in Colorado. You know, to go see the Killdozer. Hell yeah, that would be a reason. Boost but their they, economy. Uh, they looked at it the opposite. They didn't want to bring a tra- attraction to this event. They Too cut bad. it up <laughs> intentionally. Yeah, right? It's kind of like Bonnie and Clyde's car almost. You yeah, know? you're going to get it regardless. You might as well just embrace it, right? I mean, yep. nobody would know about your town otherwise. It's kind of like that little mm-hmm. town that Ed Gein's from, right? Yeah. Up in Wisconsin. It's like nobody would Plainfield, know. Plainfield, I think. Yeah. Was nobody, would, nobody would know it otherwise. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, what a fun one, though. Old that Marvin, he is kind of a folk hero um, in a lot of circles. A I lot can of the, see it. I can see it. I understand a, why. A lot of the don't tread on me folks with the with the snake tattoos and the stickers on their truck and the mm-hmm. giant American flags. They're they're big fans of old Marvin. If you go into comments, like if you go to just like YouTube videos about this or like any articles, it almost it's very heavily in favor of Marv. Like this guy's a true American hero. Blah blah blah. Right. I tend to not see it that way. Uh, I think you're acting out like a child, and you could have gotten people killed, and and luckily no one did get killed. You know, if he'd right. blown up those propane tanks, there definitely would have been people harmed, if not killed. Right. He almost shot a police officer in the head. Um, he shot at Cody Dochev, which I know he hated him, but still, like you had some beef with the guy, but the guy never did anything to harm you physically. You know, mm-hmm. like it's 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 a it's a kind of a spoiled man lashing out. You know, I, I, I get he yeah. felt cornered, and you know, you you had options. He had the chance to sell his property, make a huge profit, and he could have got the fuck out of this town. He could have. He, but yep. he viewed it as he had wasted 13 years of his life building this business and then took it away from him. Right. But he and should have connected to city utilities from the start, and it would have made everything a lot better. Right. And it's it's not like this man didn't have experience building this businesses because he had businesses and muffler mm-hmm. shops all over Colorado. Yep. He could have went exactly. anywhere. He could have went to Good Boulder. Point. He could have went to Denver. He could have went anywhere and still lived in Colorado. He had the means, mm-hmm. he had the money, he had the experience. He just got his feelings hurt and he wanted yep. to stand his ground and this is what happened. I mean, that's 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 yep. how I summarize it, man. I agree 100%. I think you nailed it. That, that, that was a good point we didn't bring up is that he did have successful muffler, muffler shops mm-hmm. in other parts of Colorado. Yep. He had options. He was doing well. He just... He got too ingrained in the idea that everyone was out to get him. That's right. And uh, let his ego get the best of him. Yep, and paranoia so. too. And I think spending in the you know the more angry and the more obsessed he got with this, probably the more time he spent alone. And we all know that's that's a dangerous thing to do when you spend a lot of time alone in your own head. Things can get a little scary. Not that you should never. You definitely should yeah. sometimes. But spending all that time and you're the only one telling you that you're right or you're wrong. That's, yeah, you know what? And they interviewed his they interviewed his best friend in the documentary, and that's one thing his best friend said is that I think he was just alone too much. You know, I think hey, near man. the end he just he just got in his own head. Yep. Yep. So I agree, hundred percent. That sucks. All right, so we do some uh, talk about why we smell so good in our armpits. Let's do it, man. I bet uh, old Marv wishes he had some of my guy in that tank, man. I bet he was sweating bullets up in there. I hope he did, or else it would have been. Uh, not pretty. No, no, not if. <laughs> yeah, you should have had old Oh My Gaia. You guys don't know what Oh My Gaia is. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. 
Guys, there's tons of, tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk. It's one of my favorites. It's what I'm wearing today. Coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. Uh, we have our very own scent, of course, true crime pine, which we're quite proud of. Um, probably a top seller. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but it probably is. Right, Lauren? Wouldn't you say? It better be. It better be. That's all be. I'm saying. <laughs> but if I mean, you guys want to try on it, this. And it smells it, fantastic. Right. If you guys want to try this, you can get 15% off your order because you are a True Crime Guys listener. If you use the code word CREEPER, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, you can get 15% off at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Right on. I want to take a minute to thank everybody who's gone and rated and reviewed on iTunes. Uh, give some people some shout outs. We're, they're still rolling in all those five stars. So, yeah, yeah. you know, if you don't want to write anything, you can always just put go click five stars and then uh, put some fire emojis in, and then you'll get the shout out. If you just click five stars, that's cool, but you don't get a shout out because we don't know, you know, it doesn't show your name or anything. Right. Uh, if you do want to write a review, we read those usually on the crapper. So, we do appreciate <laughs> that. That's always nice. It's always good that's material. Right. It is. You know, our dads used to read newspapers. We, re- we read uh, iTunes reviews. That's right. So, we do. Um, I want to thank Brock318, said awesome podcast, five stars. AZ Angela uh, said my fave, five stars with some fire emojis. Right. Those are both in the U.S. Then we got Case File Fan uh, in Great Britain said two of my favorite creepers, five stars. Hell yeah. Thank you. Case uh, File, great podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, ECA123 in the U.S. said love true crime guys, five stars. Thank you. Jessica Jones, MCU1 in the U.S., best outro ever. Word. Five stars. Thank you. And she said, uh, <laughs> uh, if you clicked on us because you thought we was True Crime Garage, laugh out loud. <laughs> that is a great outro. Uh, I haven't come up with anything oh, better or I would change it. I'm sorry, guys. No, never change it. Why would you? It's perfection. Uh, Kimberly4991 in the U.S. said, uh, fire emoji, five stars. Thank you. Uh, X Elish X. Uh, in the U.S., five stars, excellent, thank you. Uh, we got Willow River 1315 over in Great Britain, said great podcast, five stars, thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, Gavin Thor Sloan in the U.S., fire emoji 100 emoji, five Word. stars, thank you. Uh, Amanda, Amanda Green, Amanda Green, Amanda Green, Amanda Green, uh, in Vegas, so excited oh. f- to find a local podcast, great job, so I just started from the beginning, thank you. Awesome. Um, let's see, bottle wipe in Australia. Down on the mic. The bottle uh, wipe. Fire emojis, five stars. Been subscribed to Patreon for one and a half years. Would definitely recommend. Thank you. That's awesome. A creeper down under yeah. Patreon member. That's what's up. Uh, JFlub75 in the US said, keep them coming. Five stars. Thank you. Uh, Gromit06 from Australia. Down under. Nice. Long time listener, first time reviewer. Thank you. <laughs> uh, another one in Australia, PJ Bro, five, jovial, but not in exchange for case detail. Five stars. Thank you. Hey, that's fair enough right there. I like that review. Right. Uh, Crime Creeper 1976 in the US said Amaze Balls, five stars. Thank you. I U J J H U J N in the US. Love them. Five stars. Thank you. J R N 763, five stars. Thank you. Uh, also in the US. And then. Teacher Chick, 43, five stars, U.S., thank you. Ardent Armadilla. It's, sorry, guys, it's been a few weeks since we did an episode, and we don't want to miss anybody. Right. Um, Ardent Armadilla in the U.S., great job, five stars. Bob in Fort Wayne, five stars, great Bob. podcast, fire emojis, thank you. Uh, Faith 2016 uh, said, love true crime, five stars. Uh, Road Dog 1234 in the U.S. said, uh, five stars. 
Uh, and then the last one, Detroit Wingman in Canada. What's up, guys? The Hat of America. A little bit of everything. Five stars. Thank you, guys. Hell yeah. So much. Guys and girls. Thank you. And everybody. Everyone who appreciate reviews. It. We appreciate that yes. very much. Best way to help the show if you're not a patron. Right. You know? But best paired with being a patron, though, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. It goes <laughs> like cheese and wine. It's right. Fantastic. That's right. Patreon.com slash true crime guys. Two bucks a month, guys. Gets you tons of extra content. Tons. Yeah, of buddy. It. We just released yeah, one on uh, Johnny Gosh. Very oh, interesting man. case. Yeah. Talk about a tangled web. Holy That's moly. That's a tangled web. Holy moly. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, don't forget our uh, merch stores, too. We never we never plug these, but redbubble.com. You can search True Crime Guys. Or there's links to our gear at the bottom of every episode. There's a Redbubble store. There's a Galaxy Gear uh, link at the bottom of mm-hmm. the description. You guys can click there, do a little shopping. You can get all kinds of stickers there. You know, if Lauren's taking too long or whatever, and you're like, fuck him. I'm getting my own stickers. <laughs> you can go there. And get your, get your own stickers. I was just about to mention that I'm going to be sending out the very prestigious gold star stickers to the five dollar patrons. Yeah, there's only today, one place so. you can get those, and that's got to come straight from Lauren's yeah. hands. So yeah, you so wait if on you those. want the, if you want to be a part of the elite, you know, the one percenters, the five, the the, the five dollar a month gold sticker, you yeah. get the the gold creep van. Only a select few people so in the world have those. That's the very They're first design we ever made. We were like, God, we got to figure out something, dude. And somebody right. said something about a creep van, or we said something about a creep van in our first like Randy Craft episode or something. We yeah. just noticed the vans, and uh, we just haven't been able to uh, Top get that. rid of the van. It's perfection. Yeah. It's like your outro. You know? Right. We just Why mess with it? It's an awesome sticker. It's an yep. awesome sticker. But also on social media, guys, at True Crime Guys, you can follow us. Instagram, yep. Twitter, Facebook, True Crime Guys closed group on Facebook. Yeah, if you guys uh, post uh, like a screen cap of, a, of you listening to our show on Instagram, pretty much every single time we... We put it in our story, so yes, we always we always love that. It's like free advertising, you know. That Letting helps us know you show. guys are listening. Yeah. We, Letting other people know you're listening, and they're like, "Oh, you know what? I'm listening too. That's cool." Yeah, so exactly, you know, it's a party. Exactly, a party. we appreciate that very much, guys. Anytime you post or share about the show, it means a lot. We see all that stuff, even though yeah. we don't re- we don't have time to reply to every single thing or reply to every everybody, but we see that stuff and we really appreciate it. Yep. All, all right, right, guys, that's enough. That's it. We'll see you next week for another freebie. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. Get you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.